Hey, before I get started, how about those Indiana Hoosiers? Is that amazing stuff? I'm telling you. And I, what you may or may not know is that uh, Tom Allen and his wife and Mike Doig and their team are not just winning on the football field. They are winning those kids to Christ. Several over the summer, several just last week. I, I don't have permission uh, to give the names, but it's just amazing what they're doing. I love what Tracy says. Her husband is just an evangelist disguised as a football coach, and he's wearing a pretty good disguise. But anyway, we love you, Tom Allen. If you're watching this morning, man, we couldn't be happier for you. You know, we had the funniest thing happen to us last Sunday. We got together for lunch, like we always do, but instead of cooking like she always does, uh, Angie, we, we decided she wanted to go out to eat. So we went to Cracker Barrel last Sunday, all of us as a family, and it's kind of neat to get a table there after church anyway, but we got in that front section back in the left corner, and about halfway through lunch, I started smelling smoke. And I thought, you know, that's kind of silly to, to be building a fire last Sunday because it's so warm. They'd had one the week before when it's cold. But anyway, I got up to go to the restroom, and there wasn't a fire in the fireplace. There was a fire in the kitchen. And I thought, man, this is great. So I didn't go to the bathroom. I came back to the table. I said, Aaron, get the kids, and let's get out of here. There's a fire in the kitchen, and make sure you tell everybody around here. Let's go out of here. And Aaron said, sit down. And I said, what? He said, chill out a little bit. I said, we got to get out of here. There's a fire going on. Somebody might get burned or killed or something. He said, hey, I'm not going to start telling all these people around here. There's a fire in the kitchen. They're trying to eat their lunch. They'll probably get upset with us. Scott said, sit down, would you? I haven't even done, I'm not finished eating yet. Just take a chill pill. They'll be all right. So I sat down and ate, and half the kitchen burned up last Sunday. Of course, that didn't happen, you know. But wouldn't that be strange if that's how we acted when we had to eat someplace and we saw a fire going on in the kitchen, somebody could get hurt or maybe even killed, and we didn't say anything because we was afraid maybe that upset some people, you know, or. We're uncomfortable with that. We've been talking for the last several weeks about growing up in Christ by loving God and loving people. And I'm telling you, if we're going to pull those things off, we have got to start talking about Jesus Christ, especially in these days. Do you know in the last decade or so, the population in America has grown about 1% annually. Now, proportionally, the same way. The number of people who've accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior in proportionate hasn't grown at all. At all. 185 to 195 million people in this country, by their own admission, have no personal relationship with Jesus Christ at all. That number in itself would make them the fifth largest country on the planet. North America is the only continent in the world today where Christianity is not growing. And still, One out of three Christians polled recently did not claim evangelism was a top priority in the church. Get this, 50% of the pastors polled didn't put evangelism in the top three priorities in the church. Does that sound like loving God and loving people to you? Does that sound like being disciples of Him that came to seek and save the lost to you? Because it doesn't to me. The mark of the early church, you read through the New Testament, was their passion for outreach for the lost. They didn't see it as a a, a duty. They saw it as a delight. Listen to what Paul said in Acts 20, 24. He's addressing the Ephesian elders, and this is what he says. He says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of the grace of God. Let me show you how that reads in the good news. But I reckon, Paul says, my own life would be worth nothing to me 
I only want to complete my mission and finish the work the Lord Jesus gave me to do, which is to declare the good news about the grace of God. It's pretty clear Paul's life was ruled by one passion, one thing he wanted to make sure he got done. I'm going to read it one more time from the message version. What matters to me most, Paul says, is to finish what God started, the job the Master Jesus gave me of letting everybody I meet know all about this incredibly extravagant generosity of God. Paul just wanted everybody to know about Jesus Christ. That was his ruling passion, and I just want to know, is that yours? Because it should be ours as a church. This is a very simple sermon this morning, and it should be. We've been hitting it pretty hard, but it's very important. Four quick things I want to remind all of us this morning. Here's the first one. We have a mission, church, you and I, very clear mission to take the message of Jesus Christ to a world that desperately needs it today. The church is an army, and our mission is to go reclaim what Satan has stole from Jesus and bring it back to him. And the best weapon we all have is our mouth to just speak the truth to just be witnesses, just talk about Jesus. Some of you are pretty good with your mouth. You know what I mean? I've seen you. Here's what Paul says, Romans 10, 13. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they ask Him to save Him if they don't believe in Him? And how can they believe Him in if they've never heard about Him? And how can they hear about Him unless somebody tells them? Well, they can't. (laughs) The answer to that is they can't. That's why Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the good news. You know what I think we've done over the years? And we didn't do it on purpose, but we've done, we've kind of reversed the Great Commission. We get in our little prayer groups, our little prayer circles, and we pray, Lord, please, would you, uh, would you save her? Would you bless him? Would you take care of them, family? Jesus said, wait a minute, I, I didn't commission you to send me out. You go lead them to me. You go bless her. You go take care of that family. I, I want to send you out, not the other way around. And and one of the reasons why witnessing is such a huge privilege for us is when we start speaking the name of Jesus Christ, like you did this morning, brother, which was amazing, we get empowered with the Holy Spirit. We get the presence of God. It's an amazing thing. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will, power will come upon you when you receive the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, the entire uh, ends of the earth. In other words, when you and I speak Christ's name, we get filled with the Holy Spirit. It's an amazing thing. That's the church. The mark of the early church was the passion they had for the outreach. That's how you could tell whether they were Spirit-filled or not. And it's the same way today. You can tell whether a church is Spirit-filled today, not, not by how many programs they have or how many people they're attracting or what their great worship is or, or you know, what they're teaching, even some of the miracles you see in the churches. No, you can tell a church is Spirit-filled today by the passion they have for lost people. And that should be us. Jesus said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit so you can have the power to talk about me, John 14. And that's why a secret service Christian is a Holy Spirit quencher. If you're a secret service Christian, you're quenching the Holy Spirit because when you're full of the Holy Spirit, you just naturally flows out of you. Jesus does. You just want to talk about Him. So we have a very clear mission to bring people to Jesus. And number two, we have a very clear motive. We're motivated by our love for God and our love for people like we've been talking about now for several weeks. I mean, true witnesses are not driven by obligation. We're not driven by duty. We can't help but talk about Jesus Christ. I mean, what the Savior did for us is just amazing. We just got to tell everybody we know about this. This is what happens to people who are fully controlled by the love of Jesus Christ. They just get filled up. Here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, Paul says, for Christ's love compels us. It compels us, he says. 
since we believe that Christ died for all of us, we should also believe that we've died to our old life, the one we used to live. We died, he died for all of us. So listen, so that we can no longer live for ourselves, but could spend our lives pleasing him. Don't you want to spend your life pleasing Jesus? Me too. We do that by loving God and loving people. And you love God and love people by, uh, by looking at them differently now that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. We've got to look at people differently today. We hate each other. Did you know that? You know, if I'm a Republican and you're a Democrat, we've got to hate each other. If, if I'm a Democrat and you're a Republican, we've got to hate each other because that's what we're told. We hate each other over all kinds of things. Uh, gay and straight, black and white. We've we got to change that up. We're full of the Holy Spirit. We've got to look at people differently. We've got to see them. You, you know, before you're full of the Holy Spirit, we look at people like we watch TV. You watch TV, you don't like the channel, you just get the remote and you change it. Praise God for remote controls, right? Before Jesus, that's how we looked at people. But we don't do that anymore. We, we want to please Him. Well, how do we please Him? We've been talking about it over and over and over. It pleases Him when we look at people the way God looks at people. And we just talked about this week, this last week. God treasures everybody. Red and yellow, black and white, they're all precious in His sight. And we're full of the Holy Spirit. That's how we look at each other. That's how we look at people. That means the next time you do go to Cracker Barrel, you're going to look at your waitress the way God looks at your waitress. And that's going to determine how you tip and how you treat her, how demanding you are. That means the person that checks you out at Kroger or Target or Walmart, unless you do the checkout thing outside, which we did yesterday. It was amazing to do that. But anyway, even those people, you're going to look at them through the eyes of God. You're going to treat them differently, or you should. The guy that cut you off in traffic last week, we like to change the channel on that idiot, right? No. No, you've got to look at him through the eyes of God. The drug peddler down at Kirkwood. All these people are starting all the mess and the riots and the chaos that's going on. We'd like to grab a remote and change. No, we've got to look at them through God's eyes. We've got to see people the way God sees people today. How does God see people? That's a good question. 2 Peter 3, 9, very simply. God's not willing that any perish, but all come to repentance. He wants them all to know Jesus Christ, every one of them. So why do we witness? Because we're sold out, controlled by the love of Christ, compelled by Jesus Christ. Because we're in love with a God who would leave 99 sheep on a hillside and go after one, which used to be us. We have a clear mission, we have a clear motive, and boy, oh boy, do we have a clear message. Paul says we have the message of the good news of the grace of God. We're living in a world right now that could use some good news. You know, a lot of mess going on out there. We got it. I asked my neighbor several years ago, I said, hey, do you believe in God? And he said, absolutely. How can I not believe in God with all the evidence? I said, good. Are you going to heaven when you, when you die? And he said, oh, no, I'm going to hell. I said, why? He said, I'm a sinner. There's no way God would allow a guy like me into heaven. So my neighbor knew two biblical truths immediately. He knew that there was a God who created all of this, and he also knew that he was going to have to stand before him one day and give an account for his life. And he also knew that he was a sinner. But somebody needed to Paul Harvey him. Somebody needed to tell him the rest of the story. That Jesus Christ came to the planet, lived a perfect life, died for him, so that one day when he stood before God, he wouldn't stand before him as a sinner, but as a son. Somebody needed to tell him that, and that somebody's us. I mean, come on, man, we got good news. I don't care if the kitchen's on fire or not, we got good news. And everybody loves to tell, I don't know what it's like at your house, but at my house, people fall over each other to tell good news. We find out we got the new Disney uh, reservations for the campground. Ashley and Aaron are 
falling over each other to get the phone to be the first one to tell us. The kids are knocking each other down trying to get to the front door to be the first ones to tell us the good news. That's what you do with good news. That's what you're supposed to do with good news. You can't tell it quick. Have we forgot how good news this is? I just wonder. Because of the good news of Jesus Christ, we have fulfillment. We know exactly where we came from. We know exactly where we're going. And we know what matters why we're here. Because of this good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel message, we have freedom. We have freedom from politics. Oh, thank God for that. We don't have to be in bondage to drugs or pornography. We don't have to be in bondage to fear what's coming next or money. We have freedom in Jesus Christ. And because of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have forgiveness. That means you and I can lay our heads on our pillows tonight and sleep like babies because if we die during the night, we stand before a living God in the presence of our Savior. It's good news. And we need to be telling everybody. I mean, there's some questions you can go to your death with, but that's not one of them. I heard a story about this guy skydiving, and he jumped out of the airplane, and he pulled a ripcord, and nothing happened. Well, he didn't panic too bad because he still got the emergency cord. So he reached back and pulled up, and still nothing happened. Now he's in trouble. So he's free-falling, and as he's falling, he sees this black speck down on the ground. It keeps getting closer and closer, and it gets right up to him. It's a man. And so as the man goes by, he says, hey, do you know anything about parachutes? And the guy said, no. Do you know anything about gas furnaces? <laughs> you needed some humor. Look, th- there are some things that you, you don't have to know the answer. But going, going to death without Christ is not one of them. People need to know. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you about the hope you have. F- family, we got these days, we're living in days where we've got to be able to speak clearly about the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Eternal lives are on the line, man. You don't have to know all the theology. You don't have to be able to explain once saved, always saved, or baptism. or You don't have to be able to talk about creation or explain the book of Revelation. But everybody in here ought to clearly be able to speak about the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you're in the building today, Christian or not, and you don't know the gospel, don't you leave here without it. I'm serious. We're in days where you've got to know the gospel. I'll get Jake, Mark, one of the elders. We'll stay here until you got it because this is important stuff. Every person there, we have a, we got a mission, we got a motive, we got a message, and last thing, we got a method, and we know what it is. It's the way we live and the way we talk. We've been talking about the way we live for quite a bit here lately. Nothing gives more evidence to the fact that you're a Christian by the way you live your life. It's very important, and, and all we hear about to these days is how many hypocrites are in the church. How many times you hear that? I don't go to church today because the church is full of hypocrites. Well, there's hypocrites running all over the place. You know, just at my house, for example, I have two dogs. One of my dogs is a vegan, and he wears a fur coat everywhere he goes. Talk about a hypocrite. All, the, <laughs> all these musicians that are out there today doing all this music composing, they compose mu- music while they're alive, and they turn right around and decompose when they die. Hypocrites. I had a professor at Cincinnati Bible College. I don't know if you had him or not, Eric. He was always talking about recycling paper, recycling paper. When I recycled the paper, somehow that was plagiarism. Hypocrite. And then how about all the fungus in my back room? They don't have mushroom to talk. Okay, I'm done with that. But here's the deal. All you hear about is hypocrites in the church. We know it. We're not denying it. We've we got a church full here. But we're working on it. In the meantime, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the person 
that lives such a life that keeps somebody else from coming to Christ. Do you? That's why Paul told Titus, you can be sure to tell the church at Crete to live their life credibly because in doing so, they will attract people to Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. Live our lives in such a way that people notice that and they want to know about it. And we talk to them at work and at school and on vacation and, and, and everywhere you're at, giving credibility to Jesus Christ. The way we live is so important, but it doesn't stop there. I mean, one of the biggest ingredients missing today in the church, the reason I think why uh, Christianity is not growing, especially in this country, is the verbal witness of Jesus Christ. There are way too many Arctic River Christians in our churches. You know what an Arctic River Christian is? Somebody's frozen at the mouth. We have bought the subtle lie somehow that if we just live good, moral, clean Christian lives, then people are going to see that and flock to the church. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but nobody's flocking to the church these days. And I don't think they're going to be flocking very soon. We're going to have to go out there. We'll have to go get them. Because the message of Jesus has got to be taught and it's got to be caught. I don't think it would have worked out very well if I'd have said, Angie, I love you, babe. I want to you know, act like I'm married to you. I'm going to be faithful to you, but I just don't want to wear a ring. I want to go public. I'm not comfortable with that. I don't think that would have worked out very well. And as goofy as that sounds, I'm afraid there's way too many Christians in our churches today that are saying the exact same thing to Jesus. I'm working on my devotion life. I'm working on my prayer life. I'd like to grow up a little bit, but I'm not sure I want to go public with this because it's pretty uncomfortable to talk about it in public. Wow. That's why we're here. This world is a nasty place right now. It's chaotic. I don't know if you knew that or not. I suppose you did. But even as crazy as it is, I got a lot of things I love. I love my wife. You guys know that. My, my family. I can't get enough of my family. I love this church. But it would be just swell with me if he just zipped us out of here today. It would have been fine with me if he'd have zipped me out of the baptistry straight to heaven. But he didn't. And he didn't you either. Why? Well, think about all the stuff we get to do when we get to heaven. We get to worship God in heaven. And you won't get tired of it. And you know, sometimes you're really involved in worship. And sometimes it's like, we're going to sing another song. It won't be any of that in heaven. We'll be worshiping God. We'll be fired up. And then we'll get to fellowship in heaven and all this good food in heaven. And I won't be picky. I'll get to eat everything in heaven. It's going to be amazing when we get to heaven. But there are two things we're not going to get to, to do in heaven. Two big things. Number one, we're not going to be able to sin in heaven. And number two, we're not going to be able to tell anybody about Jesus Christ in heaven. Now, which of those two things do you think Jesus left you on the planet to do? I realize that not everybody in this room is an evangelist, but we got to speak the word. I, I read about a guy who got separated from his girlfriend for an entire year. He wrote her every day, never missed it, wrote her 365 letters. You know what happened? Sure you do. She married a mailman because people want to hear it, okay? They want the message, and we need to be speaking about Jesus Christ. Again, I know we're not all evangelists, but everybody in here should be a witness to Jesus Christ. In fact, if you've not done this yet, you need to go home today and do this. Take one piece of paper and write out your testimony. Some of you have done it in a small group. It's powerful. And then when somebody says to you, uh, how can you be so happy and full of hope with all this chaos. It's chaos right now. The world's burning right now, and I don't think it's going to get put out for quite a while. But do I have a lot of hope? Do you? Do you? Yeah. Why? 
Take, write that down on a piece of paper today. Three paragraphs. Paragraph number one, what your life was right before you met Jesus. Paragraph two, how you met Jesus. And paragraph three, what your life is now that you know Jesus Christ. And take that out. Boldly telling people. We got to let them know. All right, I'm going to finish. I had a buddy in, in Bible college, Bill Strother. And he, you remember Angie, he would, he was doing exotic fish and selling them to all the pet stores in town to make some money. And he did real good with that. But he had tanks all over the house, piranhas and guppies. And, but he said his best seller was a shark. People love sharks. And he was telling me about this shark. He said this particular shark, most sharks, but this one that he had, uh, he said they grow in proportion to the tank you put them in. And he was showing us this tank, and he had it in a 30-gallon aquarium, and he said, this shark will be fully grown and fully mature six inches long. But he said, if I took that same shark and put it in the ocean, it would grow to eight feet. Is that amazing? And it occurred to me, I, I think we just got too many cute little Christians swimming around in our little aquarium. If we're going to grow, like we've been talking about, and become everything that God designed us to be, we got to get out of this aquarium. And we got to get out there and tell people about Jesus Christ. We have a mission. We have a motive. We have a message, my goodness. And we have a method. And I think you need to ask the Lord this week to give you opportunities. Just ask Him. He, I'll tell you, you ask Him, He'll give you several. And then ask Him to help you to be bold and gentle and clear about the message, gospel, uh, the gospel message of Jesus. And, and we're going to start right here. As we celebrate the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ, I'm going to do what we invite you to do every week at South Union. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I, I'm sitting right here. Please come and talk to me. It's fantastic, this amazing grace that we preach and live. Come and talk to them. Spend some time at the table.